They're very energy efficient. They're very healthy. They're sustainable. They're built with renewable resource. There's a lots of different reasons, but I would say that most of the homes that we built, clients come to us because they've always wanted this log home. They dreamed of it. It has a real homey feel to it. It doesn't look modern. It kind of puts them back in time. And those are the reasons why people build them. Often they're built on lodges or on lakes or something like that. It's just, it has a good feel. So welcome to episode 97 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And today we speak with David Byler of Caribou Creek Lock Homes. And this was a fascinating episode because David has this amazing company he's built. He started as a general contractor. They built their first locked home and they actually changed their entire company structure to do lock homes. And we spoke about just the difference in log home construction. Is there a cost difference? Uh, how does installation differ? You know, how quick do you does it take to um, install a log home as opposed to a normal frame? And then also the marketing strategy, right? How has that changed for a company that's been in business 30 years, how we started marketing to now? And how much business does he do in-state, out-of-state? There was a lot of information for everyone listening, what they can take from this episode, and especially learning more about the lock home industry and how the market, our current market with lumber, if that's affected him. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levin, and today we have a special guest with us. We have David Byler, who's president of Caribou Creek Lock Homes. Welcome, David. Thank you. A it's good to have you, here. and I think to yeah, we're excited to have you. And you know, I, for for those listening, we're definitely going to get into where they can find you know social media handles, especially Instagram, because you guys do some incredible work that's just fascinating. Before we get into that, for our listeners that are listening and don't have Instagram in front of them, explain to them what is a timber home. So uh, a, a timber home is, uh, is, is usually a home that's constructed out of big, heavy timbers. Traditionally, it was, it was um, uh, wooden pegs and just a lot of exposed wood. So when you walk into the home, you see the big timbers and wood uh, uh, with timbers or logs. But uh, a, a timber home is usually considered something that's uh, framed with big timbers. So when you talk about, David, you know, the, the original installs, we think about old cabin homes, old log homes, right? As you mentioned, you think Lincoln Logs as a kid, right? As we're putting those together. It's that peg system. Now, is that similar? Are you still using that same fastener? How has that evolved over the years to what you're doing now? It, it has evolved a long ways. We, we, it, it sure has. Uh, homes now need to be engineered, and, and there's a lot of things that are done differently than they used to be. However, we still do build those old homes just like they used to be built. We go back and uh, study how they used to do it. And then we have to uh, duplicate that. And th th some of those homes are absolutely incredible. It's, it's amazing how, how well they knew how to do it. And, and it's, we really enjoy going back and, and building them like they used to. So how much time do you spend, Dave? When you think about now, here's your company, just as a company infrastructure, do you spend time not only in R&D looking at current methods and techniques and products to build a log home or a timber home. But how often do you do, you know, tour older homes around the country, old log homes that were built just to see the creative genius and how those were built in years past? Uh, I don't really know how much time, but I, I, I stop <laughs> at a lot of them and I look at them and, and uh, you know, one of the funnest things kind of like that, that we did is we had a client come to us that went to Europe and studied log homes for a long time. He was over there for six months, came back with this big binder all full of ideas of old homes that some of them over 500 years old. And then we had to, to, to reproduce that. We did get to use chainsaws and some of that stuff, but, but we had it to make it look just like it was uh, built back then. You have chainsaws, yeah. you have other equipment, whereas before they're doing yeah. it by hand, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Working out those forms and biceps a little bit more. So when you're looking at you know, just a log home, you know, what, how does that work when you're thinking, okay, you have a client comes to you, David, and they want to do a timber home. I would imagine you're going to have to work with a different architect, engineers, right? Who understand the super product at, you know, so are you specifically working with, uh, those creative minds on the front end, you know, to make sure that your design will work as you get into construction? Uh, yes, we, we do a lot of that ourselves here. We have our own design team, but but there certainly is some architects and, and design people that, uh, that people go to. And, you know, we often will take a design that somebody wants and kind of convert it over into a log or timber frame home. 
uh, but um, that that is quite a bit of work to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, so you're doing some of that design in house now. Are you doing the engineering in house? Are you outsourcing that? How does that work from the consultant side? We we outsource it for the stamp, but it's pretty much all done here. We don't have an engineer's stamp for all the different states we work in, but we we uh, we do outsource that. But but it's it's usually pretty much done in house, uh, other than the actual stamp. Yeah. So how's that changed? Because right now, something we're dealing with, you know, in Arizona, it's that indoor outdoor living. Uh, you know, we have these large sliders. You, you, our clients seem to want sliders that are even bigger. They open more, right? So I'm sure you know windows have changed greatly. Multi sliders have changed greatly in the past hundred years. How has that impacted now your designs where customers are looking for bigger openings and you're doing these timber log homes? Yep. Good question. Very good question. I, uh, we, we're still doing them just like a, a lot of other people are, but they're, they're often steel framed and then they're covered with logs. Yep. I was going to ask that. So you're, you're doing steel, right? As the lintel yeah. or you're doing like a steel header columns. And then that's the support structure to, to cover these large spans. Cause I'd imagine the timber couldn't cover those large spans by itself. And then yeah. you're just, you're, you're essentially putting a facade around it. So you don't see the steel, but that's the basis there. That, that's exactly right. We, we have a steel moment frame or whatever it is. And then we, we split the log or timber in half and, and recess it out and glue it back together. And you can't tell it's not, you, you can't tell that uh, the, the steel's there, but it is there. <laughs> so how do you, the craftsmanship, right? One thing that's a constant theme is the craftsman, you know, and, and people that can work with their hands and really the artisan side of this, you know, how have you dealt with that labor issue, either training, knowledge with your team? Uh, that's been a challenge in the last year for sure. But uh, we, we do have a good core group of people and and we have some people that are very passionate about what they do, love what they do. Those people are pretty easy to hang on to because they find uh, they get to do what they enjoy doing here more than most places. Uh, you know, in the other construction part world, it, they get to do this a couple times a year if they're fortunate. Here they get to do it every day, all day. Uh, especially when it comes to wood joinery and craftsmanship. But the challenge is still there. Uh, to, to find new people that want to do it and do it, is, it's a tough one. Uh, but we, we're always looking for them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can all use a little bit more labor, there's no doubt, especially right now. I know I have a few clients that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I think, on their daily message board as I continue to get daily emails about how many people showed up on site and why don't we have enough. You know, that's something we're all yeah. dealing with and can relate to. From your side as a general contractor, though, David, I think this is important. You know, for me as a general contractor, I'm not self-performing, right? So for those listening to explain that a little bit more, I, I'm a true GC based on the complexity and the jobs that we do. You know, we subcontract all of our labor. You know, I'm not, I'm not self-performing framing or concrete. You know, we work with licensed companies that do that service. Now, with you at Caribou Creek, are you self-performing the entire project? Are you doing just the timber log side? How does that dynamic work? So, so I would say that 90% of the time we are a subcontractor for another contractor. Okay. However, locally, we do, we do general the projects uh, sometimes. That's it, it's not something we, uh, we do all the time. Most of our homes are out of the area, but, but we always have one crew out there doing it. Yep. So essentially you answer that because I was going to ask – you're based out of Idaho. And so when you're working there at your home base, that's when you can work as the GC. It's really difficult to be the GC when you're working in other states, right? And so as, right. essentially when you're hired to work outside of state, that's when you're, you're performing as a sub. You're coming out, you're doing, we're going to call it framing. It's not framing. It's building the timbers, putting the log house together, right? And, and that's only, the only service you're providing outside of state. That's right. We, we, we often do the design service, and then we, we pre-build the structure here at our place, build the whole thing together, number it, mark it, load it on a truck, and then we take it out to their site where they have the foundation subfloor up, and then we, uh, we set it back up on their foundation. So this is interesting. I sat in a conference you know, years ago, and there was a company based out of England, and you know, I'd always heard about panelization, right? Where in, in regard to framing, so this is outside of what we're discussing here, but on a normal wood framed house, the analogy was used that he said, do you go and buy your TV or do you have all the TV parts shipped to your yard? And then you have someone put together a TV in your yard, right? It doesn't happen that way. And he's like, why in framing, why aren't you building everything in a plant, shipping it out 
putting together like a puzzle because we do that. And instead of using, you know, 10 dumpsters, 40 yard dumpsters, we're using one five gallon bucket, right? Of waste. And we know every nail, every screw that goes in the house. And the, oh, the, my, the question was asked said, well, yeah, in production, if you're doing a 2000 square foot production home, right? It makes sense. But his comment was, no, we do castles, right? <laughs> like we can do a 16,000 square foot, extremely custom home, build it together and ship it out. So from your side, David, I mean, it sounds like you had that same mentality that if you could put this piece together in Idaho and build this, now your install, your travel expenses, per diem, everything that goes into the company is going to be much more efficient. It is. It's, it's, it's expensive to get people out there to work. However, uh, it's very efficient. We have a big building. We do most of it inside. And we often will set the SIPs panels or something on, on the log frame or the timber frame. And um, we, we, I mean, to a fall, we, we take it to a step, I don't know, further than most people can imagine. Like the electrical boxes are all cut. The chases are all drilled. The mule tape is put in those chases. So the electrician just has to pull things through there. And that can all be done right here uh, it, a lot faster and more efficient than it can on site. It's interesting. I mean, how, was that always a concept that you had imagined it to be as you got into this industry? And we'll get into your background in a little bit, David. But, you know, is this something that's evolved over time, just the way to expedite and understand, you know, your market and your product? Uh, it, 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 it has been. It, you know, I think it came from areas, a lot of our homes went into areas where labor was um, more expensive than it is where we're at. And we had contractors that we work for. Usually when we start working for a contractor, we, we keep them forever. And, and they kept asking for more and more and more. I want those gables framed. I want that done. I want you to put the SIPs panels in. And uh, we just... At first, I thought this doesn't really make sense. They should be doing it, but the more I realized that you know, often they're driving an hour or two to the job site. They're paying those guys to uh, work out in the cold. Here we're in a controlled environment, and it just it just makes sense. And uh, especially in in areas like Colorado and some of those areas where where labor is even a bigger problem than it is here. And I imagine what you're alluding to is a lot of these homes you're building are in rural areas or as you mentioned, high net worth, whether it be Jackson Hole or other nice areas in the country. And so that's why you're finding a way that it becomes a little bit more cost effective and efficient for the end user and the GC itself. Yeah, that's correct. So now for those listening, you, you, you mentioned SIPs panels and to explain a bit more what those are, structured insulated panels. And so when you're doing a log home or a timber home, all of... For, for anyone listening, all the exterior walls are logs, right? So you think Lincoln logs just as you're walking through this, but then the, the truss system, the roof is built, are all of your project SIPs, which are the structured, you know, structural insulated panels. And then you're putting a veneer, like a wood veneer or tongue and groove, you know, to keep that, that wood look. Uh, they're not all that way, but a, a good portion of them are. Our, 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 our systems, our roof systems are usually structural. So that whether it's trusses, purlins, or rafters, so they are ready for something. So SIPs panels makes perfect sense. And, and you're right, they often, um, they often want some kind of a TNG on the bottom. And um, uh, not always, sometimes it's drywall. But, uh, uh, and there's a few of them where they will use traditional rafters. Uh, on top of that uh, that structural roof system and and then insulate it and do it all later too. It's kind of up to the contractor. Yeah, well, I mean, exterior walls, yeah. right? You want to see the timber. So how are you insulating or does it need to be insulated on the exterior walls? Well, on a log home, it does not need to be insulated. It, it, each, each log is insulated between the logs, but on a timber frame, the, the SIPs panels is, is often put on and uh, the, the between the timber bents. And then other times we actually will build a frame wall and they call it a timber frame home. We call it a hybrid where the roof system will all be timbers or trusses. And then there'll be a kind of a faux beam going on a traditional, I mean, a uh, conventionally frame wall to make it appear like it's a real timber frame where it's not. We see more and more of those homes going up. And so what you're explaining there is you maybe have a more traditional framed exterior wall. And then you're putting 
you know, the, the veneer or the facade of, you know, the timbers, yeah. you know, to, to give it that aesthetic. Yep. That's right. Yep. That more rustic feel. So what are the benefits? Like when a client's reaching out saying, David, we want to lock home outside of just the, the natural appeal, right? The historic value, visually how it looks, what are the benefit? How do you sell them or, or what is it that appeals to them? Uh, you're talking about with the log homes? Uh, yeah, I'm saying for yeah. log homes. Like, what are the benefits of a log home? Well, the, the, uh, the, they're very energy efficient. They're very healthy. Um, they're sustainable. They're, they're built with a renewable renewable resource. So there's there's a lots of different reasons. But but I would say that most of the homes that we built, clients come to us because they wanted it. They've always wanted this log home. They dreamed of it. It has a real homey feel to it. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't look modern. It kind of puts them back in time. And those are the reasons why people build them. And, and often little, uh, often they're built on uh, uh, lodges or on lakes or something like that. It's just, it has a good feel, a family feel. Yeah. Do you do a lot of commercial when you speak lodges or, you know, a, a retreat or maybe a hotel or something? How often do you get involved in the commercial aspect? Uh, pretty often. About half the stuff we build is commercial. Uh, we've built some uh, 35,000 square foot clubhouses and that type of thing. So, yeah. It's amazing. I was just going to ask, what is the biggest size? Is there a limitation if you're doing a log home to the limitation of size or square footage or is it all depend on design? It does depend on design. We've, we've done things over 30,000 square feet and then we've added accents to... Uh, even some bigger biz, uh, buildings, but uh, but that's that's not really the normal. Uh, Ten to fifteen thousand square foot lodge is more than normal in in the commercial end of it. Yeah, and you made a couple interesting points. I want to touch on David. I mean, one of the things you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of benefits, right? When you start thinking about sustainability, it's a renewable product. You know, energy efficient. I mean, these are valuable items. And I was meeting with the owner, and he runs a production. Builder, right? He's a production builder. And what he found was he's he's going down this road of net zero, right? He wants homes that are sustainable. They uh, you know, aren't gonna consume a lot of resources, you know, they're off the grid essentially. And what he found was in all their beta testing and stuff, when the client came in, clients do they are appealed to nice finishes, right? Beautiful design, right? These are things visually they can see. And so he would take them through the model. And what they found was when they were selling on energy efficiency and net zero, no one cared. Surprisingly, I mean, you'd think they would, but they didn't. But when they saw the beautiful house, the model home, and they walked through, and then kind of the, the, the sales pitch at the very end was, hey, you get this amazing house, ABCD. But in addition to that, it's self-sustainable. It's energy efficient, it's net zero. It was almost the icing where they're like, okay, sign me up. And essentially, that's what you're doing is that your customer base, David, they're, they're looking at the, the feel and the aesthetic of, I've seen this as a kid or I've traveled and I want this log home, right? I've, I've envisioned having a cabin for my family retreat, you know, go to the mountains. And so that, that emotion is already there, which assists in your marketing and sales process. But then the, you know, the topping is, hey, this is energy efficient, sustainable. So it just adds on to it. Very well put. That's exactly right. They, they, uh, they first kind of have to want it because it's a different kind of a look. But when they realize that, wow, I'm doing something good for the environment. It, it is icing on the cake. Now, we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, 
for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. That's amazing. So, you know, for those, you know, unfamiliar, I, I guess, with the method and construction, we've talked about this a little bit, but how difficult is it to install? When, you know, what is that time frame? If I release you, David, yeah, payment aside, we've scheduled. Okay, you're moving my house into production, right? I'm here in Phoenix. Let's just say I'm going to build this in Flagstaff up north. If I release you on a normal, you know, 5,000 square foot cabin, what is that time frame for you to build a mock up, build it, label it, put that puzzle together? disassemble, ship down, put us together. So it, it would probably take us, um, well, to get the logs together, and we do hand peel everything. I'm not going to count that part of it, but it would probably take us four to five weeks to build it here in our, in our shop. So, so let's touch on that. So four to five weeks to build it, but there's the resourcing, right? So as you mentioned, right. you have to yeah. get the lumber, peel it. So what's that duration yeah. before you even start production? Uh, that's a minimum of three to six months. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, we, we have to decide where it's going to go. Uh, if it's going to go to Flagstaff, which I've, I've built a several of them in Flagstaff, we, we're, we're going to have to make sure that the wood is super dry because you, you, it's, a, it's a high dry climate. So we're not going to put the same logs in Flagstaff as we would in Seattle. And, and so we're going to have to make sure we get that right. Uh, there's still some choices. We'll take the logs. We'll hand peel them. Uh, we call it a skip peel. We just kind of peel the bark off. Uh, no mechanical marks. We we don't allow processors or the the normal logging methods that they use is uh, is very damaging to the logs. But we are handling uh, a piece of furniture as we're uh, as we're building it. So then they will be uh, air dried and then put into kiln a kiln until they are down to where we're happy with them. Uh, then we bring them back out and hand peel them all again. And at this point, they, they are only handled with straps. Nothing more is put on them. And we, we build a home with them, uh, number them, mark them, cut the window openings, bevel everything for window trim and, and, and uh, whatever that might be. And, and then uh, load them on the truck in reverse order Take them out to site. The contractor there will have the, the foundation in, have the subfloor in. Typically, we'll, we'll bring four or five people. Contractor will be there with one or two, and we will set that. And we usually say that for every 1,000 square feet of home, it takes one day to set that. So 5,000 square foot home, we would, we would expect it to take about five days. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the back end side, or I should say the front end side, when you're thinking about, okay, the sourcing of the product, right? And going through the kiln and, you know, everything you're doing as far as uh, the, the logs themselves. Yeah, there's a duration there. But once it's shipped, I mean, this is really a one to 10 day process for most of the homes that you're doing. Yeah. It's, it is incredible. We, we, we've, we've done some weekend homes and, and the neighbors uh, left for the week and came back for the, the next weekend and there's this log home sitting next door. <laughs> well, based on, based on our current framers, not to throw them under the bus on what it's taken our durations. I mean, from, you know, a 16 week duration to a five day, uh, there's a drastic difference there. Yeah. So let me ask you this, D David, you brought this point up, which I want to touch on. So when you speak about just the difference in climate zones, right, there's different climate zones in all parts of the country. You know, we're a drier climate, of course, in Phoenix and Flagstaff. So when you're comparing Flagstaff to Seattle, does it dictate the species? Uh, you know, we're, you, you have experience working these different markets. So I'm sure you understand what kind of wood, what, you know, how dry it needs to be or the species you're going to use. You know, how has that evolved? Do you reach out to people local? I mean, how are you updating that knowledge base to know exactly what product or what species you should be using in each territory of the country? Okay, good question. Very good question. Um, we, we prefer using Douglas fir. find that it'll work anywhere because it, we can also dry that. It's very stable. Uh, however, it is a little bit more expensive. 
And so we we do find people that want us to do uh, do it in a, a pine or something. And we're not really comfortable because of past experiences putting that pine home in some areas. Uh, insects, um, it's just it's it, we're just not. And it um, so so we limit some areas to some species. Douglas fir we could put anywhere. Cedar. On the other hand, is is very um, durable. It's probably the best wood out there. It does have more character, and there's a few people that are allergic to it, but that's also a good option. And so you're using Douglas fir most of the time. Sometimes, if the client is requesting pine, it'll be dependent on where they live and if it will function and you know and and be warrant. You know, you can warrant yep. it. Yeah. So then as far as, you know, you brought up the insect side, you know, how are, are you treating the lumber? How are you preventing it from insect damage, termites? You know, how does that affect, a, you know, a timber or log home? Uh, well, it, it, it certainly, there is a, a, a maintenance issue there that it's not, it's not hard. It's not that we don't have to do it. It's, it's really not that hard and difficult to keep anything out of the wood. It's a little bit hard to get them out of there if you allow them to come in. And in the southeast, we do a lot of homes in the Smoky Mountain area. There's the only place that we, we find that, uh, that species have a bigger part of that than almost anything else. Uh, they're cedar, they don't go to cedar. They don't like it. Douglas fir is too hard for many, many, many animals, like the carpenter bees and some of that stuff. So, yeah, it does need to be maintained. We do, we do if they want us to, put a borate on it. Uh, but when we kiln dry the log... Anything that's in there is going to be gone because it's 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 heated up to a certain temperature and it's it's all gone. So it's really more keeping keeping the keeping it maintained. So how do you convey that to the customer? I mean, because this is really, you know, a lot of us we're we're at risk all the time as builders, right? And so as you do more projects, you know, your tail gets bigger, you know, and bigger and bigger. And so yep. the difficulty for you, yes, you know, as you're going through these two sessions of kiln cycles, you're killing anything that's in there, you're shipping out, it's clean. You know, what, but over time, if the customer's not maintaining it, which is a key aspect, there could be issues down the line. So how are you setting that precedence for someone in Alabama, someone in Washington State or Phoenix to say, hey, are there local companies you need to work with and resource to be out here treating, maintaining pest control? How does that work? Yeah, the, the good question. We, we, we uh, uh, all of the above, I will, I will talk to... Uh, to local people that uh, uh, the Orkin man or whatever and find out what the issues may be. There, there is one thing to remember with solid wood logs or uh, even timber frame, you don't have the problem that many areas have where the, the termites go into the walls and you don't see them. And so all of a sudden you have this infestation that, that goes on for a year or two before you even realize you have anything. It's very obvious if you have a problem because they are coming from the outside, drilling little holes through it, and you can see it. So in many ways, it's better than, than some of the wood-framed homes that, uh, uh, where, where the insects go inside and just eat the studs away and they don't even realize they're there. It's good perspective. I mean, you think about it, yeah, because in a normal framed home, you have drywall, stucco, some ex brick, whatever on the facade, everything's enclosed. You can't see it. Whereas log home, you may see in an area we get termite tubes. You may see the tubes on the wall. You have, you know, deterioration at some point so you can identify it sooner. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, you know, right now we've dealt with a lot of issues with material costs, right? Uh, Doug for especially, you know, for lumber, lumber's up 300%. How has the current lumber craze and those prices affected your cost? Does it affect you at all even? So uh, if, if I could have every year going forward be like it was for the last two years, we'd be pretty fortunate because honestly, we have paid almost no more for logs this year than we did the year before the year before that. <laughs> I, and why is that? I, I How is that possible? <laughs> I know. I don't understand the disconnect between the cost of the wood, the, the raw logs, and lumber, because uh, the lumber has gone up as high as three or four hundred percent, yet the raw material has not. And so, 
So um, it's been a good year for the log home business. I've had a, 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 a custom framed, uh, a custom contractor that, that does these, I mean, $1,200 a square foot type of homes. And, and we built him a, an, a log home occasionally. And this year he called me and said, for the first time, your log home is cheaper than I can get this thing framed. <laughs> Usually we're, we're 20 to 30% more money and uh, not the case this year. I, I'm sure that won't last, but. But for now it is. So the raw material, the, temp, the, the logs themselves haven't, you've haven't yeah. had a huge change in pricing. No. It's interesting. So there's another client of mine and he is in the residual business in the sense that he actually, when uh, all the lumber's cut right through, through um, the yards and shipped out, you know, the bark and the sawdust and some of these residuals of the lumber itself is what he buys for his business. And he's like, every year I've had price increases, you know, for the residuals. And in the since COVID, it's all either they can't give it to me fast enough, right? It's like, it's actually price decrease. It's gone down because they want it out of the plant. So they have more space for lumber to, that they're turning out. So I don't know if there's that side wow. of it. I don't want to go down this road of politics, but I, I will say that there is a difference depending on use and demand and supply chain and everything else, which I'm sure maybe the log timbers themselves are easier for them to ship out as opposed to running the plan and COVID, you know, spacing, who knows, uh, yeah. you know, but as far as the pricing itself, you know, th this is really important because you mentioned this just as a cost comparison, you know, this year's a little different because of the cost of lumber, but typically is there a cost difference and what is it, you know, between a log home as compared to a standard build? So it's a good question, but often, often there's a, um, the 20, we, I say 20 to 30% more with a custom handcrafted log home versus a frame one with the same finishes. Um, and, and, and that cost is almost always in the roof system. The, the log walls versus the frame walls, not much difference. It's it's when we start doing log trusses and purlins and ridges and dormers and th there's where the there's where the extra cost is. And especially if they're doing some, you know if you're using SIPs or doing some form of T and G right there, there's yeah. a lot of cost in T and G. So are you yeah. when it comes down to the T and G and wood ceiling is that something you're also self performing for the customer or are they subbing that out to like a local trim carpenter? We we certainly do do that, but we uh, um, we kind of leave that up to the contractor. Um, Contractors are our best salespeople that we have out there, so we never want to step on one's toes. Because <laughs> some of them may still perform or have their own relationship, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, right. So it's just an option we we we, we leave out there, but it, it uh, some contractors would prefer using their own people. Yep. Yeah, which makes sense, yeah. you know. And and mm -hmm. and going back to the design when you're doing a home, and you mentioned that hey, this on a five thousand square foot house, essentially you could put this together once it's shipped, you know, in five days. Do you ever have projects where it's a partial log home. And what I mean by that, they may say, okay, we're having a 10,000 square foot home, but there's going to be multiple use. For example, here, you know, we'll have homes that are ICF, right? Insulated concrete form or block or masonry and wood framed or still framed. And so sometimes you have a collaboration where there's different exterior wall finishes, right? Depending on a lot of var variables there for the client. So do you ever have a partial install or do they sure typically do. say, no, we're, we're doing the full log home? No, we do that all the time. Uh, do it all the time, more and more. Part of it is the great room is all log and timbers or something, and the rest of it is more conventional. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. I would assume that, like, especially in a cabin field, you're going to have this large great room, kitchen, living room where you have this big vast area, and that's going to be a log timber, but maybe the back end suites or bedrooms are going to be a little bit more traditional frame. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Do it all but the even time, with right? cost, but as you look at this, as you mentioned now, I mean, in the past, there's probably a rhyme or reason they did that for VE or value engineering cost, you know, but with the cost of lumber, who knows? It could essentially be a wash at yeah. this point. Yeah, it's, it, I, I think it's, I think this year has been really different. I, I it, it has been different, but, uh, but uh, there's some people that actually prefer the, uh, the more modern look at the back end of the bedroom suites or whatever, and then have this one great room area with the fireplace and, and they get what they want. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not just economies of scale or cost. Yeah. It's also design aesthetic. They may have a more modern flair mixed in with the rustic of the great room and the entertaining area. Yep. 
and and how have you dealt? Have you had a material shortage? You mentioned there hasn't been a lot of price increases. Do you ever deal with material shortages? Are you dealing with longer lead times for product? We 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 haven't this year. Uh, COVID hasn't really hurt us in any way that way. Uh, as far as material shortages, not not really. Uh, almost all of our material comes from uh, from a private uh, timber companies, and they're very large. And they believe it or not, we we buy what we call Japanese grade. So the 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 best wood gets sorted out and gets shipped to Japan, or we get to go in there and buy it. And so why is that? Why 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 is it shipped to Japan and maybe not sourced locally? Um, you know, I think it's because um, the the uh, Japanese have a little higher. Um, we have number one, number two, and select, and they have their their grades are a little bit more. Uh, Strenuous than than ours are they the, the, just like the, they are the with grain. their steak, like an A five wagyu yeah. fillet or something. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Uh, and and we uh, we find that we don't have to worry about uh, you know spiral grain and too many knots or anything. If we buy that grade, it's 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 a little bit more expensive for us. But but you know a small part of our co- I shouldn't say a small part, but twenty percent of the cost in a handcrafted home is the cost of material. The rest of it is labor and everything that goes with it that's kind of a rule of thumb it doesn't always end up that way and and so um uh, we 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 pay more for the wood than the mills will for sure because uh uh we we have to compete with them but we get um, we get very very high quality stuff the thing that does change though is the lead time uh going into areas to to uh, often if there's a road put in and they need to take a bunch of timber out. We get we get kind of first pick at all that timber in in some of the areas where we buy, and and then we also buy uh, diseased and and standing dead stuff if the fiber is still good. We find that uh, buying buying this good wood is um, is is well worth it. So um, and then they they can't go in and log some of that uh, in the summer or the spring or the fall. They have to wait for winter time so that the ground's frozen to get into uh, sensitive areas. So sometimes the lead time is is kind of hard to uh, for people to accept because we 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 will need a year in some cases for some wood. It's interesting. So for some of the wood that you're asking for, it makes sense. You know, if you have a muddy, sloshy area, you know, wetlands, whatever it may be, you know, it's tough for the equipment that gets stuck. So you have to have really hard ground for them, frozen conditions, so you can get in, be accessible, get the get the material for your supply chain. Yep, and we we do helicopter log some stuff, and and that's actually not a bad way to go. But it's it's more Can't getting it out. No, it's it's not cheap. <laughs> yeah. And are you sourcing? When you say the Japanese grade, if you will, are these suppliers that you've built relationships all you know from around the U.S. Are they local to you in Idaho? I mean, where are you sourcing your lumber? Uh, we we are sourcing it around the United States, but mostly in the Pacific Northwest. And we we do have some places that we buy special wood in in the northeast southeast too. We've used cypress and and uh, but mostly the northeast. So how have you built those in relationships? Northwest, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So so especially in the northwest, like how how are those relationships cultivated? You know, I'm sure over time, you, you know, this has worked. Do they just take people off the street? Hey, I'm David. I'm starting a new you know, log home company, I need to purchase these logs from you. I mean, how are those relationships cultivated where you even have the opportunity to be purchasing, you know, Japanese grade lumber? That, that's a whole conversation in itself. Uh, that, that's a very, very important relationship to us. So uh, I, I go, I'll go back in time, but we, we had to, we had to make sure that we developed that relationship, never been late on a payment, uh, pay up front and, and, uh, be fair if there's a couple of bad logs and you know eventually we we get a good relationship with these guys and and they know we're, we're good for our money and and it, it works out good i love that you shared that's interesting i mean a, a while ago probably about six months ago i had randy coffin on and randy is he owns a jeweler right he's a jewelry company here locally and you know someone who's been in the industry a long time the jewelry business and he mentioned that that he's working with suppliers you know, Rolex is a great example. I was asking about Rolex, you know, the Rolex watch. And he said, you know, for him, someone from Texas can't just call him and say, hey, I'm in town, I'll buy, buy a Rolex watch, right? They should be working with their local distributor because Rolex is really, they're, they're very particular 
on managing and, and they try to do it for price controls. And so things are being shopped and flipped and other things. And so they're really adamant on the background check for a Rolex watch. I never understood that, right, from the Rolex industry. And just the jewelry, right, as he's working with his jeweler, jewelers and you know, sourcing diamonds and different jewels and stuff. And he said the exact same thing, that it comes down to prompt pay, doing what you say you're going to do, being a trusted ally, and really ally is the key word, right? And it's no different for you, David, when you're thinking about the construction industry. If you're paying your subs, if you're paying your vendors, if you're a trusted entity, when you need a favor or you need a product or you need a special request, they're going to be there to perform because you've already built that reputation over time for them. Yep, it's true. It's absolutely true. Yep. And and how's that background? I mean, were you always involved in timber and log homes from day one? Were you, you know, what experience do you have outside of that? How did this come to fruition to start Caribou Creek? Uh, good. Uh, so we... we uh, I, I grew up in, in the building industry, and then in the early 90s, late 80s, really, my two brothers and I moved to Idaho, and my older brother built his own log home because we just always dreamed of doing it. Didn't really know too much about it. Almost immediately, uh, we had someone else that wanted one, and it was a good time. It was a very good time. Everybody wanted log homes. When was I this was approximately? Hesitant. Like time Pardon? frame? Yeah, time frame approximately. Uh, 1988. Okay. And, and we, uh, so we just uh, built another one and another one, and we all of a sudden realized that uh, we could just shut down the rest of the, the, the type of construction we were building. We'd have the opportunity to travel over, which we all liked. Was, wasn't uh, very much later. We were asked to go to uh, New Zealand to build a fishing lodge, and, of course, we jumped all over that. And uh, got to go to uh, a couple other countries and do some stuff, and and pretty much uh, just kind of took off from there. Yep, that's interesting. So in the late '80s, you moved to Idaho. You have a general contracting business, and then you do a log home for your brother, and then it kind of spirals into what you're doing today. How did that opportunity, especially way before social media, you know, how did that connection happen to do something all the way in New Zealand? Uh. It was a lot easier then than it is now because we would we would run a small ad in the uh, Log Home Living magazine, and we'd get uh, that's where everybody went for their resource, and uh, we would get two to three hundred names. Uh, the, the one day after the the ad would run in a magazine, and now it's social media, and to get a national national presence is not as easy as, as the magazines were for us. <laughs> it's interesting. It's yeah. funny how these things evolve, right? The newspaper industry, the power it had, right? And, yeah. you know, and up, up through the 90s. And then you look now, print media is now going through this revival. They're trying to figure out different ways to be a value resource, right? For their advertisers, people such as you and I that are purchasing advertising in, in, in print space. But back then, as you mentioned, there was no website. There was no you know, uh, you know, internet. So, so the accessibility was through print. And so by you putting a print ad, you know, it opened the door. Yep. That's right. So how has that changed now when you think, and, and we'll come back to your story cause I want to touch on that, but now yeah. marketing, I mean, you do have a very good presence on Instagram. I mean, you're very active, you know, how has your, your marketing strategies changed now here in 2021? Uh, they, they seem to be evolving. Uh, 70, over 70% of our homes we get through referrals from past customers. But, but a little bit the problem with that is most of our customers don't have neighbors that want to log home. It's kind of a unique thing. I mean, we've built homes in, I think, 29 states. And, but but they, we still do get a lot of them. And, but, uh, and we do a couple shows, and uh, we do have a web presence, and we locally get a lot of traffic on our web presence. People call People know us locally. But we're in an area where there's not a lot of people. And so, so the rest of it is, we're, we're always working on trying to get, get, uh, get a little bit more presence out there and not sure that we really know what we're doing. And Lindsay's, <laughs> Lindsay's <laughs> but, but we, we do, you know, at least once or twice a week, someone will call us or email us and say that they saw, uh, saw us on the web and, uh. Well, you're consistent. You know, the one thing I'll say yeah. for social media, it's very difficult. There's not really, you know, with the algorithms changing and rhyme and reason, you know, how people go viral, you know, it's, it's difficult. And 
but to be consistent, have good content that people want to consume, right? It will build. And it's interesting when you talked about the referral side. So most of your customer base is referral. Now you also, especially when you're out of state, you know, you're not the general contractor, you're working for GCs. So do you have a lot of general contractors that are repeat customers that are contacting you saying, Hey, we worked with David and his team come down here. we got another client that wants their log home. We have some of those. We don't have a lot of them because contractors stay in a small area and they might have one client in two years that wants to log home. Yeah. And we, there's very few contractors out there that that's all they do is log homes. And we do have one that that's all he does and he kind of travels around. But um, uh, so sometimes we go three or four years before we hear from a contractor again because he has a client that wants one and those are the best because we know this guy, he knows us and everything works out great. Yep. Yeah, I'd imagine it's few and far between. And you mentioned travel, you know, the, the appeal at, at your business is the, you're not having to go set up shop for three months or a year, year and a half, right? These are quick one week excursions to New Zealand. And so, you know, speak about that project that I'm sure was something you really wanted to chase because to put that as a staple in your resume and your portfolio, you know, to market that and brand that, especially at this point in time in print media, you know, what, how was that complexity building this at that point where you're doing the same thing where you build this off site, now you're shipping it to New Zealand and then putting it together down there? You know, they wanted us to use local wood. Um, so we did, we, we told them that, uh, we thought we probably weren't going to get the job, but we said, listen, your winter time is when our summertime is. You wait till our winter time, your summertime, we'll come down and build it. It was going to be a three month build. And, um, told them that's pretty much we were very busy and and they said go for it and we we took our wives and kids along and uh they they provided housing for us so we were down there for four months and built it and it was a great experience and uh it, it wasn't super profitable but that's not really the idea <laughs> a little part-time vacation part-time work yeah. right yeah so that's yeah. interesting so this is different than your process where in this scenario, you know, you went down there, you used local lumber, so you didn't have all the controls you did, you know, based in Idaho at home base, but the family came with you and you made a little excursion for four months down in New Zealand. You know, how did that change the QC side, the quality controls and quality checks as far as the timbers and material you were using? And then of course, the install and, and application. Uh, good question. After we were all finished and went back and looked at it, we would have, we would have been better off building it here and shipping it down. Since that time, we've shipped stuff into other countries. Uh, the, the, the quality control, we ended up having to buy almost twice as many logs as uh, they thought we would need to. Even though they have premium wood down there, everything was great. It's just, it just, it wasn't there. And, and honestly, we, the, the owner and us talked about it, that it would have been a little less expensive if we would have built it here, shipped it down. It's interesting. You know, you always think for me, this is why I always speak up about processes and how important they are because I look back at my career and every project without fail that has gone wrong is because we deviated from that process, right? Yeah. And, and we have a protocol for a certain reason. We have an SOP, our operating procedures. And it's not that we're perfect. I mean, we're making mistakes. I'm sure like you are, Dave, you're still learning. You're figuring this out like I am. Construction is a tough business. Labor is a tough business. But the reality is we understand what makes us successful and what makes a project su successful. And here you are now, where although that probably didn't go as planned, I'm sure you utilize that in your mental database catalog now, where when a client says, yeah. hey, David, come down to our territory, use our lumber. You're like, no, we've been through this road. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's <laughs> very good. Very well put. We had a tribe over in uh, uh, Bellingham, Washington, that wanted us to come over and do a, a big, big project with some really large logs. I mean, one truck, one log. And and they wanted us to do it on site. And I thought of New Zealand. And I thought of the process that we normally do it. They said, you know, it's, it's, it's not better. Thinking that this is probably going to lose the job, and I wanted it. But they, uh, they came around, and we shipped one log, one truck over here, built the project, and it it went great. And I thought, you know what? Stick with it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's true. Stick with it. Yeah. Understand your process and be <laughs> adamant that you're going to follow it. I mean, yeah. going back to New Zealand, because really what ends up happening is you lose control. And so for, I'm sure for you in New Zealand, just listening to you, David, is that 
you don't have the same quality control. You don't have the same yeah. product coming in. And so as you're putting this together and you're having to throw out lumber and throw out material and throw out logs, like you're, you're wasting that, but it's also costing you time and money. The duration's exceeding when we know as the longer the job goes, the less money you're going to make. And so that's where those numbers and that time frame becomes really essential and really important. Yep. So do you ever have contractors that like hate log homes or maybe it's a contractor that's new to log home and they're reaching out to you to help them carry them through because you know they've never built a log home and they're, they have a customer that wants it, but they want the job, they want it for their portfolio. How does that dynamic work when you're working with a first-time builder using you and your company? Uh, it, it, there certainly is contractors that would prefer not building them. <laughs> I, I think that we are probably the most contractor friendly log home company out there. I, I, I do think that. And, uh, or I'm sure there's others, but there's none better. And our, one of our favorite contract is, is contractor is one that has built with a, uh, another log home company and that doesn't take it to the level that we do. Uh, when we're finished, it's it's ready for him. He doesn't need a chainsaw. I mean, every everything is cut, ready for him. Everything's marked out, and it is it is absolutely, you know, the the framing is is dead nuts on. So so they're surprised at that. They're not expecting that. And so usually when we get a contractor, we don't lose one. He'll get us the next time, the next time, the next time. However, there is there is things with log homes that are that are different. Uh, that, the, the plumbing, the, the the electrical, and all those things, um, they're just different, and the, and more time needs to be allowed for some of that. We address all of them, and uh, our 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 thing is let's make sure that their expectation is met, so that they, they they know what to expect. And for the most part, we have happy contractors. Well, I want to come back to the electrical side because you, you did bring that up earlier. I want to touch on that. Before I get there, what you're explaining is the ideal customer, right? When you get into marketing, you have to understand who your ideal customer is. Why are they that way? What, you know, is it an age demographic or, or, or an age spectrum? You know, is it a financial demographic? Is it a location in the country? But as you mentioned, your best, con or your best projects are one where the GC is using a lock home company or they've been through that process and now they come in and they see your fine process and your approach to the project and it's a home run, right? And right. very similar, you know, for me on, on high-end custom homes, someone that's built a home, you know, that understands the process, it's a lot easier because there's so many expectations that you have to set, that that I have to set. And it's hard to remember all of them. And sometimes you get down the road and that's the biggest disagreement there is this, the expectations that were either not set or we didn't meet. Right. Yeah, meeting the expectations is is so critical, and especially with a product that's it's new to some people, and uh, so we 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 really work at that one. We don't hit hit a home run every time with them, but we sure try. So, David, I'm sure in this perfect world, you're working out of state. The concrete guy is the best concrete guy in the country, so you show up and the slab's perfectly level. You know, you don't have to float anything every, you know, it's, it's to the T I, I would imagine that's never the case. Cause we know how this goes. So how does that work from a field measure? Are you coming out and fill measuring before you build an offsite? Because if you're building your template offsite and shipping it, you have to make sure those field conditions are exact to what you had. You know, how does that work from the practicality of, of the concrete set the, and foundation the way it needs to be? Oh, it's, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, we, so first thing we, we, we do our own shop drawings and our shop drawings are going to, are going to really have a lot of a center line or something that they can pull the measurements from and they have to verify these measurements are all right and level. When we get on site, we're going to snap a line and we're going to, we're going to verify it ourselves. And in some cases we fly down and uh, field verified before we ship the log homes out. And especially bigger projects where there's multiple angles and, and we just like to do it. And uh, so, so we can adjust that, but it has to be the same. We have to both work off the same plan. I'll, I'll never forget the time we came out there and and the foundation was two foot bigger than the, than the, the logs <laughs> were. <laughs> That's never a good thing. No. So that's no. interesting. So on your more, we'll just for sake of a better word, use simplistic, but on a more simplistic build, there may be some assurance where you're giving them the shop drawings, 
you know, they have their data points, you know, they, you know, their cross dimensions that they can measure and make sure they're right. And they can verify that. But on your more complicated ones, you're going to actually go out there in person, field check yourself. That way there's no uh, room for error, right? So when you ship it, you know, it's going to be right. If, if we've never worked with the contractor and we don't really know, uh, don't have the confidence that we should have, not, not to run them under the bus, but it, it, we, we will do that. We'll go out there and, and, and not only that, we want to make sure that we can get an 18-wheeler on site with yeah. a crane. Yeah, because I, I would folks. imagine that's, you know, people don't think about just the shipping and the handling and, right, just how you're going to get that and the accessibility, right, to each and every yeah. project, especially on a steep hillside or in, back in the backwoods, you know, in some nice part of the country. Yeah. It's going to be really tough for you, accessibility. Yep. We've had to helicopter them in. We've had to use cats, crawler cats, and 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 all those things get kind of expensive. It adds up. That meter yeah. that, that meter's always running at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you factor that in? So how does that work when you're bidding a job and let's just say, okay, we're gonna do this for a hundred thousand, do you already have an idea of the accessibility or is this a T and M? Hey, when we get there, look, we're just gonna charge time material, you know, to, to to bring a crane, to bring, you know, a cat out there to move it around, whatever it may be. We, we we will do the T and M if they want us to. I I don't like to hear. I think sometimes the the, the expectations aren't met with T M N T M N. So so TMN. we we will usually tell them. Listen, a reset's going to cost twenty four thousand dollars if we can get the 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 uh, the truck up close to the site. And if we can't, they will have to pay for whatever it takes to get the logs up close to the site. And it I don't. It, it's very seldom been a problem. Uh, we tell them what we need to do, and but to go on site is uh, sometimes a very, very good idea. The first load of logs that comes in will be with our truck and trailer. Uh, so we kind of set the... So you have your own driver that's bringing down that first load. Yep, bringing our tools, bringing our stuff down with him, and he'll, he'll deliver the first load. And... Um, so we don't we don't have to sit there and wait while there's four trucks waiting in line. Typically, there's there's a couple trucks and and uh, if we have to get a crawler, a cat, or something to pull them up in there, we'll we'll just do it. Yeah, that's good info. So now going back, and this is important. We talked a little bit about the insulation, right, and the structure itself. So when you're building these offsite, when you're thinking exterior walls, if you have plumbing or electrical outlets, right, there's still code. We have to have outlets and stuff. Yeah, you're running, uh, you know, all the sleeving. You run all the conduit inside of the you know and then you're you have mule tape in there for the electrician when they come out and they can pull all their wire once it's installed yeah every area's got a little different uh whatever the electrician wants there but but we will we'll drill the chases through there put the mule tape in as we're building it up as it's going up each course goes up we fasten the logs down run the mule tape through and when it's all done he just hooks onto it and pulls it through it's interesting. So, I mean, when you think about that, I've worked in commercial, you know, years past and it's very uh, detailed, right? Even when we do our as-built drawings at the end, you know, we're, you know, I, I did fire alarm and low voltage and electrical. And so it, it, it's very specific. The architect's very detailed on where the outlets are, right? Fire alarms, especially in a school where you'd work or a government facility. Same thing for you. I mean, I'd imagine there has to be a lot of coordination now, although you're doing the shop drawings and design and you're sending out for stamp. Well, as far as MP&E, mechanical, plumbing, electrical, you're gonna have to make sure you coordinate and understand where vents are going. You know, duct work. You know, plumbing, electrical, and this has to be measured, laid out, precise. So then that way there's no mistakes as you're working with real timbers and logs. Yep, it's it's absolutely true, and and we'll find that there's almost always some frame sections in the closets or something where we try to utilize those areas. But in the logs, it has to be done. Drawings have to be done. They have to be taken to the mechanical engineer. And and uh, to whoever's doing it, and have him approve it, and then we cut him and do it. While while we're on site, we we will cut. We just don't want the contractor to have to do it. But while we're on site, we will field cut some of that stuff in. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine there's probably some stuff in the field, or maybe something was missed. I mean, it's a lot different than maybe my drywaller that uh that covers some of my can lights or, you know, my outlets. I mean, this is a little bit different. You're going to be very precise. You know where it's at. And then we just make sure and check that way when you're off site, you're not worrying about anyone trying to come in and patch or cut or core, you know, into the exterior walls. Well, that's amazing. So, you know, what's upcoming and exciting for you, you know, David and and the team at Caribou Creek? Well, we, 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 uh, 
Are you talking about uh, exciting projects coming up? Yeah, absolutely. We we, we have some uh, we have some really exciting projects going up. We're working on. I don't know. I'd hate to call it a compound, but it sort of is. We're working for with a, a big family that's we're going to be putting uh, four or five different homes on the project. A big lodge, and it's close by. Uh, we're finishing a a really nice project. Um. On, on a lake and we had to helicopter the pavilion and some of that, that stuff down in there and they're great people to work for it's just it's just a lot of fun we also have a, a possibility of doing a, another job in chile in the patagonia and because i like to fish i want to sell that one i want to go down there and help put that one on myself <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you uh, yeah. you mentioned this New Zealand, but I mean, to head down to Chile, that's a little commute, you know, down to the Patagonia out there. Yeah, uh, it is. But we, we've we've shipped some other stuff down there a couple times, and and you know, right now I could ship a container to all the way down south of Santiago into Chile for less money than I can ship one to New York. Wow. It's amazing. So the freight's different. So when you are, you know, heading down Chile, you're just going to ship a container and, and by boat, I'd imagine, right down the coastline and yeah. on down. Yeah. As long as you can get through the ports with COVID uh, restrictions yeah. and delays at the port, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We can actually we can actually ship right out of Lewiston, Idaho, if we want to. We don't usually, but we can. And it goes out to Columbia River and all the way down to Chile. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's I, I just enjoy, you know, speaking to you, David, just understand more about the, you know, the log home and timber business. I mean, it's something very different than what I'm doing. But the the complexity, you know, I think, you know, just offhand, people will look at a picture and say, that's amazing log home, right? And they don't understand just the complexity, the coordination, the systems that have been developed, you know, that you've been working on the last 30 plus years. It's just an incredible operation. So for those listening, you know, to follow you and, and see some of these amazing projects, the compound, po- the possible job down in Chile, where can they find you? Uh, CaribouCreek.com. Caribou is C-A-R-I-B-O-U. But yep. That's and same thing at. for your, yeah. And same thing for your Instagram, which we'll have tagged here in the show notes for yeah. anyone listening so they can give you a follow. And you know, David, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit insight into the lock home business and a little bit about your operation. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.